0: Let me ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Malachi chapter 1. If you're not sure where Malachi is, find Matthew and uh, go back two pages. So find the beginning of the New Testament and go back a couple pages and you will be in Malachi chapter 1. As as we have words that are are closing out uh, the Old Testament and it's before a period of of silence, darkness, 400 years uh, before they hear again from God. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are uh, shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down and they will be called the wicked country and the people whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we would ask now in these moments that you would teach us of what you were communicating to your beloved people. And you saved this. You you caused it to be preserved to this day so that we would hear that message as well. And so, Lord, will you cause your spirit to give us open hearts and open ears, open wills to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. And we are beginning a series uh, today that will take us to ad- Advent uh, season. It's hard to believe, isn't it? Uh, but as, as I mentioned, these are going to be the last words to his people. There'll be a, a period of darkness of silence where his people will have these to ponder on as well as other things revealed in the Old Testament. So uh, we're, the way we're going to approach this is we will take it in sections, not always equal sections, Some will be brief like today, and others will be a little bit longer as it's kind of the same subject, and uh, that's what we will do for the next seven weeks. This book begins in verse 1 prior to even the first thing that's addressed with the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Malachi. Now, we don't know much about Malachi. In fact, all we know about Malachi is what's in this book. And uh, the the word Malachi literally means my messenger. And that's caused some to say, well, I think it was probably a description of whoever was saying this, but maybe not his name. Uh, Other commentators say no. Uh, All the other... Prophets, major and minor, are identified by name, and I think I'm going to go with them. I don't see any reason not to think that was his actual name, although his name definitely fit his calling. And then it says uh, uh, the oracle of the word. Uh, That word translated oracle could easily be translated the burden of the burden. And it it gives a sense of of urgency. And we see that word a lot in uh, the prophets, major and minor prophets. And every time we see that word, there's something heavy that is coming after that, something that, that they need to pay attention to. There's a judgment coming or or there is something you need to do differently. And so when he begins this way, uh, it's not that when that's not there you don't pay attention, but you especially say, okay, this is a burden from the Lord. What is it that he is saying to his people? So let's, let's take a look at uh, the statements. And here's, here's kind of the format of this, this book. Uh, God will—it's a, a dialogue in essence. Uh, God will make a statement, and then He will then uh, respond the way they're responding to Him. He knows where their hearts are. He knows what their actions are, and so He, you know, He makes a, a statement. They respond, and then He comes back with the essence of his, his message. So his, his first statement is in verse two, I have loved you, says the Lord. Now that could actually be the theme of uh, Malachi. It starts that way and everything that is said in here uh, is about his love. Everything that is said in the book even though some of it's very hard for them to hear, but it's out of his deep love for them. Now, what do we know about his love for them? Well, let's go back farther in the Old Testament. Uh, we're talking about uh, the people of Israel. And here's what we read in Deuteronomy chapter 7. And what we're going to see is that, that his love is absolutely sovereign And it is absolutely unconditional. It is sovereign and unconditional. So listen to what it says in in Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. He says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Do you see the intimacy there? out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So there immediately we see his love is sovereign. He makes the choice. He could have chosen all the peoples. He could have chosen uh, Israel and some others. He chose Israel to be his people. Then, verse 7 in Deuteronomy 7, he tells why. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. So keep that in mind. His sovereign love, his unconditional love, And in theology, we we call that election, his choosing love. So look at the challenge then in uh, that same verse, verse 2. After the Lord declares that he's loved them, it says, But you say, how have you loved us? Now, why is that so offensive? Why would that be offensive to God? Well, imagine this. Imagine that a baby is born to uh, a very loving family. By the way, it's none of these babies here. This is an imaginary baby, okay? All right? So he's born to a very loving family, and uh, the, the father just uh, loves this baby. He works long hours all the time to provide for uh, this child and for his wife, and uh, they are, they are uh, completely committed to that. Uh, the, the child starts school, and so when the father would finish work and come home, he would then sit down with the child and help him with the, their schoolwork, and then play with them, tuck them in, and that's how it goes. And and he even takes another job, a second job, so that this child can go to the, the best schools and be trained in the very best way. Uh, still, he's at every ball game, every choir program, every play that the child is in. The child continues on to grow, graduates from high school, and uh, goes to college. And so it's a young adult, and his mother takes another job so that she can pay for tuition for him while in college, so that he can enjoy going through college without debt and, and not even having to work. The son comes home, and uh, like happens when college kids come home, uh, they have a, a discussion the the parents and uh, the young adult. At at one point, the father sensing that uh, this child is not feeling all that uh, appreciative of the kind of life that he has had. The father says, I have loved you. And the son rears up and looks him in the eye and says, How have you loved me? Do you feel it? Do you see how offensive that is? Now imagine what God who did everything to provide for our salvation. What he must have thought when people were saying, how have you loved us? I've called this series Before the Dawn, and we'll talk about that more later. But the other name I thought about for this series was How, <laughs> because it's in there a bunch of times, but I thought, no, that's not going to make sense to anybody until... <laughs> Till we get through the, the whole uh, book. But, but that's what, what happens is that uh, there is that challenge. It challenges God and demands proof or an answer. So what's the challenge in this case? How have you loved us? Now let's be clear on this in terms of that challenge. They had no right, and neither do we, to demand an answer from God. There is never a point where that which has been created is owed anything by the Creator. So we are not in a position to demand answers from God, to demand that He do it our way. If God does answer, He could just say, well, because I'm the God of the universe and you're not. Parents, have you ever said anything not of the God of the universe, but because I'm the parent and you're not? He could have done that and had every right to do that. So the very fact that God condescends and gives answers is only by grace. It's his grace. It's not deserved. So back to the the question itself, how have you loved us? They've forgotten God's works. We see no visible evidence anywhere that you have loved us. Prove it to us. Let's look at his answer. Verse 2, the latter part on down uh, in the next few verses. And it may seem like a very indirect answer at first. How have we done this? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I've hated. I've laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I'll tear down. And they'll be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Now, let me explain what was going on here. Uh, When God's people, and God's people are represented by Jacob, they're descendants of Jacob, they were taken into captivity. Edom, the descendants of Esau, rejoiced over them being taken into captivity. And not only rejoiced over it, they exploited God's people and took advantage of that. And they, they did it for their own gain. So God's people were feeling unloved because they're suffering, and Edom, those other godless ones, seemed to be thriving while we're suffering. Now, So God's answer is, look, I'm going to take care of Edom. You need to know that. They will not always prosper. I will not let them. Now, let's stop right here because there is a little phrase in here that that some find bothersome. It says, yet I have loved Jacob, verse 3, but Esau... I have hated. Now that's an important phrase, and it's, it's actually quoted in Romans chapter nine. In Romans chapter nine in the New Testament, Paul is explaining why election is uh, the way God works and why it's His prerogative. And he uses the illustration of the potter and the clay. And he, he basically the, the illustration is, well, can, can the clay say to the potter, why would you make me this way? And, and the answer is, of course not. Again, that which is created has no right to demand anything of the creator. But the idea of God hating one brother and loving another it may be, seem like a strange way uh, for God proving his love for one brother, uh, one people, by, by showing his, uh, how he's passed over another people. In Genesis chapter 25, we see God's favor resting on Jacob before either he or his brother Esau were even born. They were equals, they were brothers, neither had any advantage over the other, And yet God set his sovereign, unconditional love on one and not the other. Well, let's just go ahead and ask. Well, is that fair? Or that's not fair. Here's the problem with that question. Fairness is a very human doctrine and a human emotion. Let me illustrate. You have kids in the backyard and they're, they're playing with each other. One of the kids feels like uh, he or she's been wronged and says, that's not fair. And the other one says, yes, it is. Who's right? Well, neither will convince the other uh, which is fair, and that's why it's, uh, it's from someone's perspective. So when we're talking about God, the question isn't what's fair, but the question is what's just? What is just? Is it just that God would love one and not another when both sin and neither has anything to offer? Is that just? The answer is, no, that's not just. Justice would mean that neither would have God's love. Perfect justice would say, neither can have my love. And so what is it? The fact that Esau was hated is justice. The fact that Jacob was loved is mercy and grace. So the question should not be by us, uh, why don't you love so-and-so? The question should be, why did you love me? Why did you love anyone? And when we we ask that question, the answer is Ephesians 1, out of my good pleasure. I loved you because I wanted to love you. And when that's the answer, it should absolutely drive us to worship him in worship and in our lives. So as we apply this, uh, again, talking about before the dawn, uh, the people in Malachi's day had, had prophes- prophecies and promises of restoration And here they are. Here's why they felt unloved. They had all these promises of these these good things, restoration after a long exile. But while they had the promises, they struggled with poverty and with trying to rebuild their lives. Now, here's where a parallel is with, with us, believers in our day. We are on the other side of the dawn. I'm using the the dawn as the idea of the coming of Christ, the gospel itself. They were on one side and we are on the other side. We know the promises of the gospel. We have seen what Jesus did for us on the cross. And yet many believers still struggle. There's a disconnect where far from being victorious, far from being more than conquerors, they are living defeated lives, feeling unloved. So what's the answer? Well, we need to remember the same answer that God gave through the prophet Malachi. I've loved you with an everlasting love, not because you are good or successful or smart or holy, but because I set my love upon you. And what he did in this passage in talking about the judgment that Edom is going to feel Esau's people are going to experience. The wrath that will be poured out upon them gives us just a glimpse of what those outside of Christ deserve, and it gives us another glimpse, and that is what Jesus experienced on the cross, where all of the wrath of God, all of the judgment of God that we deserve to have on us was put on the Lord Jesus on the cross. And there we see his great love for us. Verse 5, Your own eyes shall see this and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. John Owen said this the greatest sorrow and burden you can lay on the father the greatest unkindness you can do to him what do you think the greatest unkindness and sorrow we can do to the father here's what he said is not to believe that he loves you That's the worst thing you can do to the father So let's live our lives of thankfulness and worship of him because he first loved us. Let's bow together. Lord, will you help us, even as we sang earlier, to know how much you love us and not... Judge that according to how we feel at any one moment, but judge it by what Jesus did on the cross and what your word tells us, and then, Lord, will you help us to live in light of that love today and in the days to come, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.